You know, I've never attacked another human being in my entire life. Now I've dropped two in the same day. So how'd it feel? Great. You do realize we'll probably end up living in a Motel 6. Yep. Sounds pretty good to me. Welcome to part two of our Dunstan Checks In episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, Alex, uh, this is kind of a thing that we didn't plan, but it, it just happened. And February is sort of a, a monkey month for the contrarians. We're going to start by uh, repeating something we said last month, and that is that our bonus episode for the month of February, uh, picked by patron Jordan Mans, is on the movie King Kong, the original, from 1933. So, Dunstan on the main feed, Kong on the patron feed, available to anybody that's a patron from the ground up. The dollar tier, the Travolti's and onward. Everybody gets access to the King Kong episode, which will drop at some point in February. Also available to everybody is our cutting room floor segments. I don't know how much Dunstan cutting room floor stuff is there's going to be, but usually whenever there's not enough to do like a full segment, I'll, you know, combine it with different episodes. Because mm-hmm. this is, this movie is like in and out and our contrarian corner recording so far has been the same. So, I, I don't know. We didn't even you didn't even go into a wrestling digression. At least not in Contrarian's Corner. Maybe real talk will bring something else. I, I, yeah, I could have found something if I wanted to, but uh, I didn't want to disrespect uh, Ken Quapis's vision. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. If you are if you are a member of our patron, you'll get to listen to all the stuff that doesn't make it to the main feed. So bonus episodes, Conor Floor stuff, access to the chat. All that stuff is just right there from the dollar tier onwards. If you want more stuff, then you move up to the $3 tier, the Winonis. And then you have access to our pre-recording notes. You have access to our quick video reviews. This month, picked by Brandon Curtis, patron Brandon Curtis, who usually gives us Indian movies to watch. But this month, he's doing something else. He gave me a French movie called Lost Bullet. And Alex, a movie that... It was at least partly produced by uh, the WWE, right? I think that's what you figure out. Triple Threat? Yes. Um, Michael J. White, I believe, is in it. Yeah. Well, he's not a wrestler, but... No, 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 no. It, yeah, it was uh, part of the WWE Films filmography. WWE Studios, excuse me. Uh, yeah, it looks like um, Michael Bisbing, former UFC middleweight champion, is in it as, is in it as well. And it's uh, 96 minutes, so yeah, man, we're cooking. There you go. That's a nice change of pace from Brandon Curtis. So uh, extremely, yeah. We'll we'll do these QVRs individually. So Alex does his own. I do my own, and then we exchange notes. I guess just for the fun of it. And then you have, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Julio, we are going to talk about uh, not a monkey, but a bear, more specifically the bear, the uh, FX original series starring Carrie Von Eric and uh, <laughs> Maddie Matheson. 
Abby Elliott's in it too, which I didn't know. And God knows I love me some Abby Elliott, and she has like a part in it. Um, but that show, you know, I have a really hard time enjoying things uh, today. <laughs> and I like blitzkrieged through that show because I just could not get enough of it. And now I'm feeling, I'm understanding the way content's created because I'm like, fuck. I don't even know if they've shot the third season yet. I want it. I need it. I need more. Uh, are you? Have you gained new appreciation for what he's doing in the Iron Claw after seeing him play a different character? Oh yeah. I mean, I thought he was great to begin with, but um, Carmi, yeah, he's. Um, by the time we record the after hours, I'm not kidding. I I will have watched both the first and second season twice. Like, <laughs> I I can't like get enough of it. It's so. It's amazing. Have you watched any of it? Nope. Nope. I, I've only heard of it. Oliver Platt's in it and his name's Jimmy. So I'm choosing to believe that <laughs> he's his character from Ready to Rumble that got his life together and made good financial decisions. <laughs> but anyway, I am uh, obsessed, as the kids say, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. So, Julio, what are you going to bring to After Hours? Uh, well, I'm going to take us back to 2016, Alex, to the movie The Salesman, which is Asker Farhadi's follow-up to A Separation. A Separation, a movie that's has a place in our history as friends, as film lovers. Did we watch it together or did we just find out that, oh, we both really liked that movie? Oh, did we watch that together? I don't think we did. No, we just, we just talked about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so A Separation, if I'm not mistaken, won an Oscar. Like, it won the Oscar for Best International. And then a few years later, he did this follow-up, The Salesman, and it also won an Oscar. Like, for Hadi, firing on all cylinders. I remember hearing about The Salesman when it came out, and it was like, oh, from the director of The Separation. And uh, I never got around to it. I think maybe it just didn't open in any theaters that were nearby. And But it's it's streaming on Prime, and uh, I watch it. I have thoughts. I'm going to tell you about it because it's it's a good one it's it's a hard watch <laughs> harder than i was expecting but it well worth it and then on on the lighter side of things i finally watched the beetlejuice musical they came to austin and something that had been kind of a, on my wish list uh pretty much since we did the beetlejuice episode speaking of glenn shaddix a few years ago and that's when i found out really that it was something that existed and it finally came to Austin this season, and I went and I saw it, and I have thoughts, not all of them positive, but overall, I mean, I I did enjoy it, and I think it's it'll make for for an interesting conversation, especially considering that Beetlejuice is part of Contrarian's canon. It, I think that we can we can talk about it. Glenn Shaddix is not in it, sadly. So the Beetlejuice musical, the Salesman, and the Bear. That is your After Hours for this episode. And then if you want to be part of those patrons that tell us what to do, then that is what the $5 and $10 tiers are for. The Embrys and the Gads. Just go to patreon.com slash Prime. Look at what we're offering on every level and see how you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers as Julio just broke down there. Yeah, go check it out. Drop a dollar. Take a look around. See what you like. See if you want to have access to more. More. More, as Kylo Ren would say. And uh, be sure to keep in mind our goals out there for 30, 40, and 50 patrons. We have our respective goals of projects that we will tackle for uh, patron exclusivity once we reach those numbers. And uh, to all of our current patrons, we love y'all, even if you throw movies like Dunstan checks in at us. 
which I'm kidding, of course, because this was nowhere near as laborious or uh, torturous as some of the other things our wonderful patrons have thrown our way. Uh, but we do love all of our patrons. Bless you all. Take care. And as I like to say, we are accepting applications for new ones, and they will be promptly reviewed and approved by our human resources department. Speaking of human resources, Julio, what a violation it would be to have a orangutan running around your premises. But what if it's just lovable? <laughs> Doesn't that factor in? No. <laughs> Hello, Dunstan. Nice to officially meet you. <laughs> Dogs are the greatest things in the world, but like, you know, you can't have them running around your restaurant. Okay, well, you keep them out of the kitchen, but as far as just having him use the amenities of the hotel. I guess you're right. If uh, Dunson had just stayed in the presidential suite, he would have been all right. Yeah. I mean, eventually somebody was going to have to go in and, I guess, clean monkey shit out of the walls. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, he was he was well behaved. Oh, yeah. So that's that's fine. There, there's worse. I mean, you have to choose between keeping Rupert Everett or keeping Dunstan in your hotel. You kick Everett out. I would agree. Yeah, there you go. Common ground. He's an asshole. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Alex, real talk for Dunstan checks in. That is, uh, again, not something that I expected to be doing in February. <laughs> this is more of a end of the year. Like, we're getting, re- you know, it's the, like the last sketch in Saturday Night Live. Like the one where they get weird. Oh, yeah, the... 1150. That's what Dunstan checks in is. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what the episode would be. But no, we're, we're getting it out early. Uh, I have fresh quotes, believe it or not. Let's hear them. Okay. Uh, we can start with Danielle Zolzman from Zolzi at the Movies, who says, Dunstan checks in is a mindless comedy, but it's still a lot of fun after all these years. Um, mindless comedy? Yeah, I think it's fair to call it mindless. As weird as it sounds, though, it's not like soulless. It's just from that time period where things like this were made and made with, uh, I feel like, somewhat of good intention. There's no malice or um, contempt for its audience. But yeah, it's it's pretty silly. Well, Leonard Clady from Variety might disagree, Alex. Uh-oh. It's a first class stylish farce with a brisk pace and cool wit. He swung for the other side. I agree with the brisk pace, man. I, I'm not going to lie to you. The, I think where we can start here in a minute and like the thing I can be extremely complimentary about this flew by. It didn't linger in any aspect for me to get really like bothered or uh, like frustrated or just kind of like, let's go. It, it's, you know, I I was complacent the whole time. <laughs> well, here's here's a different take. Tyler Maxson from Screen Slate says, Built into 1996 comedy Dunstan Checks In, a film predominantly comprised of orangutan set pieces is something like a comment on the pains of domestication. This dude, we've gone from it being mindless to it being witty to it being about something. <laughs> is Dunstan Checks In about something, Alex? No. Not even uh, about, I don't know. The- the need for a father to pay more attention to his kids. I, I guess, but that's every, that's every nineties movie, dude. Yeah. Like that's, that's <laughs> a single parent that's having issues. You know, it's just, it's what comes along with the territory of the, the era. 
Um, this guy Teller Maxing is just projecting his insecurities into Dunstan. It bothers me that my immediate thought is like, if this came out today, would I be as forgiving of it? Because it watching this and knowing it comes from 1996 takes me back to a another time uh, and an era that I enjoyed of filmmaking more to where it didn't really feel like, and, you know, there's definitely, I mean, 17% for crying out loud, but it's not like it's a big review pool, but like, you know, there were plenty of really, really dumb kids movies made at the time. And I'm sure people hated this, but uh, it's really, really dumb, but I, I didn't find myself bothered at any point of it. I'm not going to say this is like a good movie, but I, uh, I certainly wouldn't go as far as those quotes you just read. Uh, you know, complacent is the right word. I was just kind of content with it it didn't get to a point where i was like man fuck this or you know yelling at my screen uh the first time i paused it it was 35 minutes into it and i was like hell yeah because it felt like you know <laughs> i'd been watching it for 10 minutes and so the pace really helps and i guess that's my starting point was that your last uh, quote that you had well we kind of have to uh read this from uh Patron, friend of the show, Ben from Filmbusters, who when, when he saw, I posted just a, a gif of uh, Dunstan slapping that that lady's ass, you know, just announcing that we're recording that episode tonight. And Ben replied, holy shit, this is one of the greatest films ever made. Watching it stoned is a trip. Okay, I can believe that part of it. The second half. Uh, I did see on Letterboxd, he gave this four stars. My God. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely not going that far. Uh, I could see the stone part. And, yeah, I mean, I did get a kick out of the orangutan, like, really doing shit. It was funny. But, you know, it's uh, what's it? Sammy was its name, uh, the actual name of the orangutan. But, you know, it's there's a lot of shit like this in the 90s, man. This one's just a bit more kind of like, oh, it's the kid from the Santa Claus and George from Seinfeld during like the height of Seinfeld is here. Okay, and- but there's so there's two two separate elements there because I, I think that I'm with you as far as the orangutan being the the star. For me, the, the big thing, the, the thing that, I'm not going to say that's what kept me watching, but the thing that held my attention that kept constantly surprising me in a way was the orangutan because you know knowing that it's an actual monkey there <laughs> and that yeah. they train him to do all these things and he's doing them and he is you know you can see it in his eyes i mean there's a okay i'm not gonna tell you that that sammy is putting on a performance but in a way he is right i mean he's not acting but Given the right mm-hmm. circumstances, you put the movie together the right way, and it really feels like he's emoting <laughs> some parts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm not one of those people that is going to tell you, yes, you know, they put him through acting school. And so <laughs> he's <laughs> he understands the motivation behind, like, reacting this way when Rupert Everett's coming to him or when the, when the kid is singing to him, right? But – yeah. There is a, a, an aspect of filmmaking that has to do with dealing with animals in, in movies and how you frame the shot, how you get the, the in this case, you know, the orangutan to do certain things so that you can frame them and you can, you know, edit them together so that when you're watching the movie, you're like, holy shit, he knows what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knows that Rupert Everett is the bad guy and that he's assisting him with these robberies against his will and and he knows that the kid's is a good person and he cares for the kid and he understands the kid cares for him all that stuff i mean 
yes, if you take a step back, you're like, I know that that's not really what's happening, but it is movie magic and it's kind of impressive watching it. I was like, man, they, they really made it work. I mean, it it never felt fake. <laughs> Dunstan's performance was always on point. You even made the joke in Contreras Corner. You, you kind of had a throwaway line about how he's a better performer than some of the actors in the movie. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed him more than most of the people in the movie. The <laughs> older brother's not that good, but again, he's, I don't know how young that kid would have been. So I don't feel like picking on him. Not an asshole like you, Julio. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was, but... I was criticizing the character. And that's actually the thing. Like uh, that, that poor kid was given a very specific trope character for those movies. Yeah. And that trope yeah. is annoying. Well, if you got to be grounded, a five star hotel is the place to be. You could say Dunstan has an easier job because it's so much easier. It's so easy to like him, right? It's like, oh, he's just a put-upon wild animal that that has a good heart. So that's good. I mean, I obviously, you know, when you watch the movie, you're not really thinking, you're not supposed to be thinking of the behind mm-hmm. the scenes stuff, right? You know, the animal trainers and all that. But they are a big part of this. Yeah, and a huge part of it, I was obviously... Uh, shooting for laughs but safe bet right they may remake this tomorrow the orangutan is completely cg oh yeah 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 a- absolutely and that would lose you know we usually i will i will go to bat for cg <laughs> and, I- i'm aware and i would still tell you okay you can make it work in the sense that uh i mean you know those new planet of the ape movies are amazing and that's just mostly motion capture but- and you know yeah, what what I was gunning at though is you and I watching this for the first time in 2024. If we were our age watching this in 96, we'd just be used to animals and movies and shit. But since it's like not I wouldn't say a novel concept, but it's been a long ass time since they made a movie that was like animal led like this that wasn't in some way, you know, CG or whatnot. And so that is definitely makes sense that's kind of what we're harping on aside from the fact that it's like the selling point of the movie but it's like it's just like you said he's not acting the way daniel day lewis acts but like the way this movie's edited and the things that this monkey uh that it could do you know like i said i love dogs dogs are like the greatest creatures on earth but orangutans have a different level of intelligence that like i feel Saying like, you know, you could say a dog does a trick, but saying that like an orangutan does a trick undermines like their intelligence, if that makes sense. (laughs) And so like Sammy, this orangutan here, just it's like, all right, you guys want me to do this? All right, cool. This is, you know, this is how I make my money. This is how, you know, I get fed. And so, you know, oh, you want me to stick my tongue out? Okay, here you go. You know, in his mind, he's probably like fucking apes, like just looking at like the humans standing around (laughs) clapping and stuff. Um I did see, I found here, uh, it's just attributed to the Chicago Tribune, which one would think that would be Ebert or Siskel, but it just has the quote from the Chicago Tribune. The cast is talented, and the hide-and-seek action is silly, not killing, and the bond between the sweet little boy and his uh, adorable ape is touching. It doesn't say if, you know, it didn't give a, a rating or whatnot, but uh, it's definitely favorable. So I am glad, because when it was over, I was like, eh, that was that was fine. Uh, I didn't want to come on here and you'd be like talking about, you know, I didn't want it to be the beach bum, which was pretty much similar for me. I was like, yeah, it was all right. There was some good Snoop Dogs really good. And it's you a, were like, a real I Matthew was, McConaughey there. 
not CGI. <laughs> and, and you were you were just fucking miserable that entire time. So I'm glad it sounds like one the runtime is innocent and really no aspect of this movie lingers too long to become like oh my god and uh it's fun enough there's some fun aspects to it and uh you know it's just what it was then but i think we're both in the same boat uh i'm not gonna call this a good movie no but it could have been a better movie and here comes the second thing i told you there are two things right one is dunstan the other one is jason alexander and i um not surprised. I mean, I understand. I kind of like said in a trans corner, right? And and again, it's a throwback to our friends from Aganza. The idea that when you've been playing a character that's so well known on a TV show that's so successful, yeah, you go out to make a movie and you have that choice of do I play a part that is basically my character from the TV show, or do I do something completely different? And so Jason Alexander in this one seems to have gone with I am going to be not going to be George Constance. I want people to see me and think something else. And I think that he succeeds in that sense because he doesn't have, you know, say for a couple of moments, like we said, he's not George Constanza, but he's mm-hmm. also just so fucking boring in this movie. And it's even more noticeable because I know how funny he is, right? Like yeah. in Seinfeld, like George Constanza, I mean, that entire cast, you know, the, the, the core four are great. Uh, but uh, I, I don't I never can remember if we have like people in their 20s listening to this like I can't <laughs> I, I always think of like our audience being like our age and like if you are younger like we're not overstating it here and it's not out of line or overly hyperbolic to talk about them this way like it's literally one of the biggest television shows in the history of television uh, you know with lines that have penetrated beyond just pop culture like not that there's anything wrong with that not that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> the one i i forget all the time that people don't know the origin of it is yada 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 like there are people that <laughs> that is just disposable dialogue that is used every day and i'm sure corners of the world that i can't even fathom and that's where it comes from and you know it's um so and, and this was like i said at the arguably the peak of the show so it is it is fascinating and the core four are great like you said and i was looking at it uh i was trying to remember airheads airheads is 94 and so that was during seinfeld but not when it was kind of as white hot as it was here and that was that was like the movie um kramer did uh he basically plays kramer with a mustache but uh (laughs) you know uh julia louis dreyfus obviously has had a very successful post seinfeld career uh, both in television and film. I think to your point, uh, part of that success is, at least from a movie perspective, I'm just immediately go to enough said, like that's not an Elaine character. Yep. And here, Robert isn't like, yeah, he's not George. They give him the one moment where they're like, all right, you know, people know you from Seinfeld, so be George for 30 seconds. But I think if I'm picking up what you're putting down, there's just the idea is there, but the Robert character just is given nothing to do. Yes. I think that he is pitched as the straight man, which already puts him at a disadvantage, right? Because he, he has he has a zany kids and he has a, a, an orangutan, and he has Rupert Everett playing it really broad, and then Pee Wee Herman. So he's starting behind. But then th- there is a choice, a conscious choice from Jason Alexander to really tone it down. Like everything he says, I think that his take on 
portraying this guy as very, very professional is that he shows him also as being very collected. And that is not very fun. That's, that's not fun or funny. <laughs> so I just felt like the jokes always died when they got to him. You know, everybody is being just so broad and every now and then it works. Like when he, mm. when he, uh, pretends that he's firing that, uh, one of the workers, because Faye Dataway wants him to fire somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know, the way he underplays it in that, that sequence is funny because, you know, he's asking her to cry and he, the way he explains, you know, I'm not really firing you. I'm sending you a vacation, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's, that's funny. But, but he plays it on that level the entire time. I'm like, this is a movie about him monkey you know and i guess you could make the argument it's like yeah that's why it should be funny right everybody else is so over the top and he's just underreacting and being just very collected but it just doesn't translate and yeah i I guess there could someone if they wanted to could also argue like the meta thing of like he's anti-george right but i mean i do i want to see (laughs) anti-george exactly (laughs) and and maybe you know it's not just me i think that in general the world was like doesn't really care and i was i asked the question on Gutierrez corner and uh, i mean it was something that i just kept thinking about i was like i i usually see I mean, not usually i've always seen uh, jason alexander in supporting roles and he does well mm-hmm. you know you called him out in Gutierrez corner like pretty woman uh shallow hal uh even i i said rocky i, I like rocky bullwinkle that's a movie that has a pretty bad reputation but i think he's great in it i think De Niro's great in it uh i think Rene russo is a female villain in that one but anyway i feel like we talked about that during um get shorty yes i think so so i've seen him in in, in supporting roles and he's always been like i always think he's doing fine and then it's unfortunate that the one movie where i see him as as the lead he just doesn't do it right but look i'm also thinking would i want to watch a show that's just about george (laughs) or a show where george is the lead probably not you know and i i think that maybe i don't know enough about jason alexander i guess to tell you well it's just that he has supporting character energy but that's what i was thinking when i was watching this movie like i, I went he's to the, denzel's best friend yes, he's not denzel. yes i was like <laughs> when did we talk about this yeah ricochet <laughs> uh, it is you know you, you, when you watch i think that sometimes your brain jumps to the the easiest simplest explanation and the easiest mm-hmm. simplest explanation based on the knowledge I have is just that, oh, he can only do supporting roles. He just can't lead a movie. I don't know that there's a whole lot of like samples <laughs> where he can go and be like, oh, well, here's like four other movies where he's the lead and he actually does well there. It's just that what fails is something else. But in this movie, yeah. I just think that he can't carry it. And that's a shame. I, I keep thinking, you know, I just want somebody more fun to play the dad. Like there, there are bits that he does here that are just so weird. Like when he... uh He's having that meeting with Faye Dunaway and he grabs the paper and he starts like hitting his head with the paper and then he hands the paper to to Faye Dunaway's husband and he goes like, paper? Word, what's the word that I'm looking for? I hate when that happens, when words just fly out of your head. It just makes me insane. Paper? Huh? I'm like, I know that's supposed to be funny, <laughs> but it's not funny at all. And yeah. I know he is funny. You know, I've seen him be funny in Seinfeld. And so... It's just weird, it, and I honestly think that that's the the big problem with the movie. The Jason Alexander character, the, the main character in a way. Surprisingly, not the kids. Like I, I was like, fine, th- these kids are pitched at the exact level that they need to be pitched in this '90s mm-hmm. family movie. I was, I was ready to hate them. Like 
as soon as the movie starts and it's like, oh, the kids are getting into trouble, this is just going to get on my nerves. But it didn't. Like, they're not great performances, but like that kid, uh, Eric Lloyd, like, he's a good screamer. <laughs> that was my my main note. There's like every time that they throw him down the, down the hallway or he falls or whatever, like, he screams and I I buy it. It's not, it doesn't feel like shtick. It just feels like a kid that's screaming. I can't remember. When was the last time you saw the Santa Claus? We talked about that. Uh, he, two Christmases ago, I think. For me. He's a lot in that movie. Like, <laughs> he gets a lot of dialogue and it's like, uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's ring it in. Let's pump the brakes here. And here, yeah, it's just he yells and hey, he's over here. No, he's over here. It's not enough to be offensive. I probably would have dialed it back a little bit just to get a few more Glenn Shattuck's uh, falls or <laughs> you know him tripping. His coffee's too hot. You know whatever it took to get more reaction shots from Glenn Shattuck's. I didn't even know this guy's name a few years ago. And now I know exactly who Glenn Shaddix is. <laughs> <laughs> Otho. Yeah. My notes just have um, Otho takes a bump. Otho gets tea poured on him. <laughs> Otho shot. Faye <laughs> um, Dunaway. I wasn't kidding about her, her IMDb page and the the quotes that they have over there about her career. It's assuming that they're all correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh she seems to have this sort of uh, conflicted relationship with her, some of her work. And I, I think that that probably applies to most actors and actresses that have been around for a while, right? Like you, you go through a patch where you just, you know, you just don't always do things that you like. Uh, I think that some of them are more candid than others. And I think that she seems to be a person that's pretty candid about her, her work. So with that in mind, I w- would be really curious to, hear what she has to say about Dunstan checks in. Like, is it something that she looks at, oh, well, I did it for the paycheck, or is she happy that she did something that her grandkids can watch? You know, I don't know. I know that I've liked her in other movies. Um, it's a pretty wild one just to do for the paycheck, especially when you're fucking Faye Dunaway. Yeah, I guess not for the paycheck. It's like she was about to lose her house or something, but <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you just you just want to keep working. That's the thing with Jason Alexander, too. I don't know if he has kids, if, you know, this could have been one of those movies made it for their kids, you know? They're too young for Seinfeld and uh, too old for Rock and Bullwinkle. (laughs) (laughs) Need something. Need something to clean the palate just to see dad and be like, oh, yeah, he does do stuff I like. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) No, but see, with Jason Alexander, I think that this, my assumption is that that's him opening up the avenue for you know leading features because yeah definitely he did need it right and i guess assuming that he gets decent residuals from seinfeld he's never going to need <laughs> anything else but uh you know you got to think about the you know, seinfeld is not gonna last forever so what do i do next i don't even think that he's been on a tv show since then you know he's made movies but i don't remember hearing of the next jason alexander project yeah, he was originally supposed to be Jason Bourne, but, you know, it didn't work out. <laughs> but he underplayed it too much. Uh, Jason Alexander was always the first choice for the role of Robert Grant, but because Seinfeld was in the middle of filming its sixth season and because part of the movie would be filmed in London, he almost had to turn down the role. 
In the meanwhile, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Ted Danson, Chevy Chase, Rowan Atkinson, and John Stamos were all considered as alternatives in case Alexander was unavailable. Fortunately, director Ken Quapis arranged for all of the exterior scenes that were shot in Los Angeles to be filmed at the same time as Seinfeld, which was also being filmed in Los Angeles, while the London interior sequences would be filmed during Alexander's summer hiatus from the show. Tell me you didn't do a double take when you saw John Stamos's name there. That... Uh, we might be talking about a, a really bad movie if that was the case. <laughs> uh, Bill Murray, I think that that's, that's the energy that I wanted for this Robert Grant character. That's fair. You know, just a little like more. Because, uh, you know, he's a good guy, and, but that's the, that's the danger. You can make it a good guy just too boring. And Bill Murray can play a good guy that's also that has a bit of an asshole side to him and that, that mm-hmm. would have been more up up my speed, I guess. God bless Rowan Atkinson, but he probably would have taken away from... He would have outdone the monkey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. Uh, so where do you fall, Alex, of these these types of movies? I'm not talking about family movies, but specifically the animal type of movies. Because I've never been a fan of them. Definitely not something... Even when I was a kid, I did not like going to watch movies like uh you know even something that's a little more adult like babe i just don't not my thing you know and there's like stuff the best like picture nominee babe i know yeah babe and babe in the city are good movies but i just you know doesn't i don't go out on my way to watch them like uh i'm trying to think of other titles like racing stripes right that's something was it 90s no that's early 2000s homeward bound Homeward Bound, I've heard of, but that's my problem. And it doesn't even worse because it's sort of like specifically like focus on animals. And then, you know, you follow them through a journey. And I'm always just freaking out that something bad's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it just feels a lot worse when it's happening to an animal versus like, oh, it's just happening to an actor, you know. But I also I, I just don't know, like uh, Hotel for Dogs. OK, that's that's something. Obviously, I was already. I was not the target audience when Hotel for Dogs came out, but that's something that I think of as I'm like, I know this is just for for young kids, right? The the idea that it's just gonna be a bunch of animals and then there's gonna be pratfalls and escapades and <laughs> that kind of stuff. I don't find that I that appealing at all. Like if I had a kid, like I wouldn't take them to watch that. Mm-hmm. But I think that some people actually enjoyed the idea of like going and I was like, oh, we're going to watch a movie about animals doing silly things. Like, where do you fall on that, on that range? Um, I'm not as like opposed to it as you are at the same time, like babe, you know, and homeward bound was a big one when I was, I was a kid, uh, that wore that VHS out. Uh, so you don't consider Fantastic Mr. Fox a movie about animals? <laughs> no, that's not okay. a fox. That's George Clooney. <laughs> what? Okay, are, are we talking about real animals here? Like, what about Ice Age? No, okay, no, that's that's animation. Animation is a separate conversation. Okay, so we're talking about uh, like uh, a separate conversation. We're talking about shit like Free Willy and you know this. Yes, yeah, okay. Free Willy or like I, I said, Racing Stripes. So that is real animals, right? I'm not making that up. Racing Stripes is yes. Uh, is Frankie Zebra? Munez, yeah. Hayden Panettiere. She had in her contract that she couldn't die on screen in that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Beethoven. And, oh, there you uh, go. Beethoven. There's like 10 of those. I've seen the first one. 
Milo and Otis, which fuck that movie. That's that was like a big. That's um, a lot of animal cruelty went down in the making of that movie. So fuck oh, that really? movie. Yeah, that's uh, kind of one of the first things my mind went to with this is making sure that everyone was okay, and I, I didn't find any reports that there was any issues. In fact, that we'll uh, get to that in just a second. But yeah, I don't. I get really emotional about dogs to begin with and um, just animals in general. I love them. I always talk, go to the thing of like, I know it's hypocritical. I'm not a vegetarian, but you know, it's um, I, I own babe. It's in my vast collection of physical media that I have Julio, but I, I can't remember the last time I watched it. It's, it's a very touching movie. I remember. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of like it more because it is a good movie, but it was one of those that people got all up in their, asses about when it got nominated for best picture they were all butthurt about it and shit so i was like good fuck you but uh (laughs) yeah i guess the more i think about it i'm probably since we're taking animation out of it and just referring to like live action ones then yeah that i'm probably more in line with you on that of i'm not anti but it's uh not my immediate go-to and you know not something that i if a movie tomorrow came out about a horse, <laughs> a war horse, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be lining up first thing to see it. So you did not go to see either Sea Biscuit or Secretariat. I have still never seen Sea Biscuit. Didn't that get nominated for Best Picture? Yep, it did. Yeah. It went up against uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. So you know how that went. <laughs> Poor son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that. I think I'd probably be more in line with Babe getting a Best Picture nomination than that. <laughs> Monkey spit. How delicious. All right, so so we're both coming at it, you know, the same way. Like, if, if the movie doesn't work, it would be, I think, if one of us, or both of us, you know, if we were more into this type of movie, the, the animal movie, animal-focused movie, and this didn't work better, then that might be an issue. But no, I think that it was never going to, you know, hit any highs with us. Like I, there's only so much amusement I can derive from watching a monkey, you know, do things in a hotel. Yeah, but still, even though we're not saying it's good, we're both saying this isn't our kind of movie. I am honestly, when I saw like the poster for this and like read the plot synopsis, like I thought Baby's Day Out wasn't. I think that was. Ebert or Siskel's like most hated movie ever you know I was thinking it was gonna be like one of those 90s movies where we were just like struggling and the most surprising part on the other end of this is both of you and I are just like yeah it's fine (laughs) it it doesn't really seem to be any uh we're certainly not on the Ben side of history with it being an all-time classic I (laughs) having just watched Grandma's Boy you know that that's that's one of the big that's literally one of the parts of the plot of that movie is getting high and watching a monkey do stuff. So I, I could, <laughs> I could see that being entertaining, but uh. yeah, I think a, a more positive way of phrasing it is that if watching animal movies, this type of movie is your bag, then you're probably going to enjoy this even more, right? Like as a baseline, we're like, it's okay. It's not, it's not the disaster that the poster or the Rotten Tomato score may lead you to believe it is. Uh, but on top of that, it might be great if you like this sort of stuff. You know, Hotel for Dogs was your jam. This is going to be, I wonder how Ben feels about Hotel for Dogs now. And if it's just about 
how old were you when you watched uh, Dunstan Checks In? And is it part of your childhood? And that's why it hits you more powerfully. Uh, the most adorable thing I found about this movie uh, in my research, and I'm sending it to you right now, Julio, is this poster, this banner for it. It's the King Kong poster, but it's Charlie and Dunstan on top of it. And I think that's very cute. <laughs> I, I'm at that point in my life now where, you know, uh, <laughs> oh, things that are overly parodied really annoy me. But this would have been like, you know, only 60 years after the movie. So, you know, it's OK. <laughs> They're about to turn a five star hotel into a three ring circus. God bless. And then it's got the cast on the side there. I don't know if this was a this was probably like a newspaper ad or like a, a magazine two page. So so. We go from the top, right? Alexander, Danaway, Lloyd, Everett, whatever the kid playing Brian is, Shaddix. And Ruben. then Paul Rubens has like a smolder <laughs> in his headshot there. <laughs> and then Sammy at the very end. And to, you know, looking towards the end of this episode here, uh, to pay tribute to the titular character of this movie, Sammy, I found a website, uh, Center for Great Apes. CenterForGreatApes.org. The Center for Great Apes mission is to provide a permanent sanctuary for orangutans and chimpanzees who have been rescued or retired from the entertainment industry, from research, or from exotic pet trade. So obviously something very noble. And for some of their more well-known orangutans, some of their more well-known uh, residents, they have uh, like profile pages. And I found one on Sammy, uh, born on December 23rd of 1989. And lived until December 3rd of 2010. Like many others of the orangutans born in Miami at the Breeders Facility, Sammy spent his first 18 months as an infant at the Parrot Jungle Attraction in Miami. Both still considered infants, Sammy and his little companion, Jerry, were sent to California to work uh, in entertainment with a trainer who had chimpanzees. Sammy and Jerry worked in many commercials and advertisements as well as television shows and movies. Sammy and Jerry played the part of the neighbors to Fred and Wilma in the Flintstones movie with John Goodman oh. and Rosie O'Donnell. Sammy was most well known for his part as Dunstan in the movie Dunstan Checks In with Faye Dunaway, Jason Alexander, and Pee Wee Herman. Come on. His name's Paul Rubens. Cut him a little slack here. <laughs> He's not even playing a peewee-like character in the movie. He's not. He's a pro wrestler, though. I'm sorry, brother, but you got the life of a pro wrestler. You and you know, you're when you passed away, everyone called you Pee Wee Herman. It's just no one's gonna know who the fuck Terry Belay is ever. He's always gonna be Hulk Hogan, <laughs> dude. Uh, shortly after the Dunstan movie, Sammy was unable to be used in entertainment because he was growing stronger, so he was retired to the trainer's compound. It was there that Jerry and Sam produced an infant male named Jam, a combo of the parents' names. Sammy and Jerry were permanently moved to Florida for sanctuary care and arrived at the Center for Great Apes in 2004. Their son Jam, age three at the time, arrived a few months later in 2005. Sammy was one of the most handsome adult male orangutans, and his son Jam has grown into an equally beautiful adult male. Sadly, Sammy passed away in his sleep in December of 2010 as a result of a sudden heart attack. And yet, um, so he would have been just about to turn 21, and that's that's pretty young. The life expectancy for an orangutan is uh, around 40 years old. Uh, oh, wow. I, yeah, and I, I did one further. I looked at the the oldest living one's 60 right now at the Oregon Zoo. Um, so 
Not too far off from human life expectancy. Not too far off, meaning several decades. But you know, <laughs> it, it, when you compare it to like a fucking ant or something, they're they're closer to human <laughs> life expectancy. <laughs> Relative. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, I mean, that is. It never occurred to me that you could retire. That you should retire. Uh, an acting ape because they got too strong, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It just, you know, I just assumed that they they just acted until they were too old to do it, and I guess that's what happens. Except that it has nothing to do with like frailty; the opposite. Instead, that's uh, imagine a fucking six hundred pound gorilla, orangutan, what have you, not wanting to do what you're telling it to, <laughs> just <laughs> punching Rupert Everett's head off. <laughs> you think Last Tango in Paris was hard to film? <laughs> Uh, but no, I thought, you know, obviously the a gorilla obviously weighs, you know, upwards of what I cited there. But uh, just to confirm here, it looks like uh, average weight of an adult male orangutan is 285 pounds, which is still a big animal. <laughs> if if you're trying to get it to do something, it doesn't want to. And, it, you know, the strength it has is uh, probably disproportionate to that of most 285 pound men uh, of the human <laughs> species. So I just thought that aside from the uh, sudden death, that was kind of a nice way to end it. Like he was, he was cared for yep. in, in the last years of his life. That was, uh, that's what every actor wants. <laughs> that, that's in some ways, Sammy had it better than a lot of actors. <laughs> Mickey Rourke sure wished someone would have come and taken care of him after the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> did you just take him to Florida? It's like Mickey, you did good. He did. Oh, I'm you sorry, it would have this. to been uh, Iron Man two. It was after that because that was his big cash in <laughs> off of his awards movie. Uh, it's also nice to end with the realization that Sammy is a contrarian two timer now. Yeah, I know, right? Like the this movie is officially part of Contrarians canon, and Sammy, who knows? Sammy might. Sammy could return. Like Glenn Shaddix, come back for a third outing. <laughs> God, he, I, he, I'm not wrong. He exists to be a punchline in this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and every part scene of the thing, that he's in, like he's just getting slapped or he falls or something spills on him. Which, of course, it makes sense in the end because, you know, he's the, the critic and it's like, right. oh, so everything I fucked up. But uh, it's just an interesting thing because the character of Otho and his like performance in that is like a, a, magnetic performance in how just kind of off center he is. And so to have that here, to just see him be like, you know, fucking uh, Buster Keaton or some shit. It's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Glenn Shaddock's beaming with pride at being compared <laughs> to Buster Keaton. How could I forget? He's the mayor of Halloween town too. So he's, Oh wow. Four times. Yeah. Man. He he could be approaching the five timers club before too long. He's in <laughs> the 2001 Planet of the Apes. So if we ever get to that point, he can enter the five timers club. Or uh, if we ever want to do multiplicity, uh, is he the clumsy ape in uh, <laughs> Planet of the Apes? Uh, probably. He's in Demolition Man too. So never say never. I can do all sorts of tricks. Do you know what my speciality is? Hmm? Let's close, Alex, with just uh, something that it's not going to go long because I, I teased that, you know, we're going to talk about Rupert Everett quite a bit this summer. 
But I mean, you you kind of have to you know talk about his performance here. Did did it work or was it too much for you? It fit tonally with the movie. I think would be the positive spin I would put on it. Uh, he was the one character in this that by the end of it, I was like, all right, good, we're done with that. Because <laughs> you know, it's you can only do that shot. It's really big in 90s television, but movies too, of um, it's the POV of the little kid. And so it looks like fucking Rupert Everett's 12 <laughs> feet tall, you know, like, like looking yep. up at him. And I, I think they do that maybe seven times in this movie. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I felt um, the, the teeth were a little too much. Like I, that character didn't need that. Right. Like unless yeah. you reveal that he he takes him off at night and it's just something that he puts on to be unrecognizable. But that's it just felt like like an actor that was I mean, maybe not. Maybe it was Quapis's idea. I don't know. Whoever came up with that, it was like, it, that's too much, man. I know that there's a monkey on set, but still, that's tone it down. But I, I'll just ask you to keep this performance in mind, uh, so that when we when we see his other work, his most well known work, I think, uh, you can contrast it. That was obviously I'm watching him in this movie and I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's not like what he did in my best friend's wedding. Um, so I'm I'm even more positive on this movie after this talk than I was when I finished it. Uh what what are you scoring it? I'm gonna give it a C. Because I, th- I I'm same. You know, I I didn't have a blow away good time. This isn't one of those movies that I'm going to reference is like, holy shit. One of the, you know, I'm so glad a patron. It, it's not writers of justice. I'll just say that. And, but <laughs> it was fun. It, it's, it's a movie that I had nostalgia for, even though I didn't have nostalgia specifically for the movie. If that, if that makes sense. And, um, yeah, it was fun. And this discussion, we honestly got a lot more out of it than I was expecting. So a C, uh, a C with a, a thumbs up and like, um, uh, an asterisk that you know you scroll down to the bottom of the review and it says it used to be better. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Matt Mickelson just breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> I keep the top spots. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna land on two and a half stars. It was it was two stars when I finished the movie, and but really talking to you and also thinking about it and just the idea that. In my mind now, I'm just thinking of Dunstan. I was like, yeah, that was a real orangutan. And he fucking outacted <laughs> Rupert Everett. <laughs> just, uh, two and a half. It's fine. And unlike you, I don't have nostalgia for this type of movie. I can recognize it. But for me, when I think of a, because of the disconnect, not just between not just our age gap, but also the the time warp between releases in Peru and releases in America when I was a kid. So I, I'm thinking, you know, my kids' movies are more like 80s kids' movies, you mm-hmm. know, not 90s kids' movies. So I'm thinking of shit like, you know, a movie like The Goonies, that's something more that, you know, I can have yeah. nostalgia for. This, this is not, this is just what I knew that was happening. I was like, I have no interest in this anymore. <laughs> You were already 27 when this movie came out, so... Uh, I, I was already in the, the Rupert Everett phase of my life. <laughs> so, I saved this note here to end it on in, uh, you know, going back to the it used to be better. And this is really just a reiteration of that Matt Damon clip from Hot Ones that went viral and has gone viral again and again and again since it came out. But as I mentioned, a budget of $16 million, didn't even make 10 back in the box office. 
home video sales, Julio, over $40 million within like the first six months of it being released on home video. Uh, receiving 75%, it greatly exceeded box office growth. Uh, as of April 97, that's when the studio said they had made over $40 million for it. Do you think Jason Alexander still gets royalty checks from uh, Dunstan? Or does he have them like rerouted <laughs> to some sort of charity? Uh, I doubt it because it's not – we didn't talk about this yet. I, I had to buy it on Prime. It's not like it's available for streaming anyway. So actually, no, that's true. If it's on a streaming service, that's what the whole fucking strike was about. But since I paid for it, he might get like a two-cent <laughs> royalty check in the mail next week. He's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Who watched Dunstan checks in? <laughs> well, he get four cents. Your two cents and mine. I got it on YouTube. There you go. Dunstan can stay with us tonight, but tomorrow we've got to find another place for him. All right, Julio. Sadly, Dunstan is in the rear view. What, uh, what's coming up ahead? Coming up next, Alex, this is something that... Uh, I was going to say I feel bad for you, but not so much. I think you own this movie. We're going back to Crystal Lake. We're going back to the Voorhees saga. This time for... Hashtag not my Jason. It's it's a Jason. And I think we need to be open-minded. If we're open-minded about Dunstan, we have to be open-minded about <laughs> what you can do with uh, the Friday 13 series. And I was as I was... Putting the stuff on our website about like what's coming up, I realized that we've done the remake for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We did the remake for Nightmare on Elm Street. We did the remake for Halloween. Yep, we've been like knocking them off. So it, it's time we got to do the Friday Thirteenth remake from two thousand nine, and we are going to have on the show uh, a returning guest and somebody that is at least as big a Friday Thirteenth fan as you are, and that is Stu from Sewer Order. So he'll be here to help us. Uh, say really nice things <laughs> about the Friday 13th remake. And then we'll, I don't know if he likes it or not. I guess we'll find I, out. Look, people have listened to this. They, I detest that movie and people know that. So it's a, uh, I'm not looking forward to rewatching that, but, but I'm not wrong, right? You own it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I have the box that the scream factory put out a few years ago. I've been using it as a coaster ever since. Get a, get unwrap it. Pop no, but in. like, yeah, my um, my thoughts on it have always been very short form. So finally, at long last, I'll be able to uh, express my issues and w- watch it. Turns out you end up liking it, but uh, it's possible. Never yeah, say never. If I have another, if I have another connoisseur on my hands, it, it'll at least lead to some <laughs> interesting discussion. I just can't wait for you to like pop in the disc, and you're like, "Son of a bitch!" It's full screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's like all of those were like remasters for that box set they released, except that one. They're just like, fuck it. Just give them a cam from, you know, the (laughs) weekend it came out. (laughs) All right. So Friday 13th, 2009 edition. That's coming up next. That's how we're closing February. Looking forward to it. All right, Julio. Let's get out of here. Let's do. Welcome to our end credits. Or, as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. 
His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nación Combi, about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Some of the main